it's the facade and it's about keeping it's about keeping the real emotions behind the facade and carrying on one of the key things that you can't be as a man uh, is vulnerable when we think about masculinity we might think about traditional traits such as dominance or aggression but these ideas about what it means to be masculine might be changing with the times I think it ties in really nicely to masculinity. It's this idea that blokes are scared to be vulnerable. In this episode, we find out what toxic masculinity is and if it's something we should really be concerned about. To be able to communicate um, and not store it up because, you know, if they don't, that's, that's how mental illness is, is um, created. You know, it comes out in depression. A sports coach explains how toxic attitudes can be damaging to the sporting world. The e egotistical people genuinely, in times of high pressure, fail, fail more um, because they think about themselves and how they're and how they're perceived at that time. And and for egotistical people, the outcome is everything. A transgender comedian discusses gender identity. I think of male and females being uh, spheres like uh, of influence and. and the way you act in society. So I've only moved from male to female sphere because I work better as a female, I'm more productive. I'm Tom Rowley, editor of Holland and Barrett's Healthy for Men magazine, and you're listening to the Healthy for Men podumentary series. There's a good 40 years of research which indicates that men who conform to what we traditionally think of as masculine norms, such as high risk-taking and aggression, are more likely to become heavy drinkers, smokers, avoid healthy foods, and engage in dangerous behaviour. In more recent years, so-called toxic masculinity has been put under the microscope as we try to identify how such behaviours negatively influence the minds of men and boys with the result being that experts are changing the way they treat and discuss masculinity. The American Psychological Association, APA for example, has set guidelines for how clinicians should talk to men and boys, and advise that there's a huge risk of damaging the well-being of men if aggression and dominance are attributed to masculinity. So what exactly is masculinity? The dictionary defines it as qualities or attributes regarded as characteristic of men. But what does that mean in practice? Well, no one actually knows what uh, masculinity is, or they can't say with much authority what it is. Damien Ridge is a psychotherapist and professor of health studies at the University of Westminster. Uh, for some people, masculinity is natural. It's about testosterone. Um, it's biological. Uh, feminists, for example, might see masculinity as a, a very competitive system in society where you have alpha males and then you have uh, marginalised males and women, so this competitive system where men are competing with others to be on top. Um, I kind of uh, side with those people who see masculinity as a kind of a performance. So the idea is that it's uh, it's a it's a thing that men do from a very early age, uh, and they learn to uh, perform. If you think about the schoolyard. Um, uh, it's quite a jungle out there for young kids and for boys in particular. And, you know, they're competing for status and 
uh, you know, to be um, popular and so on. And so boys learn from a very early age, it's about performing. They might not necessarily feel, um, you know, it's an authentic performance, but, you know, the stakes are quite high in the schoolyard in terms of being popular, uh, not being bullied. We spoke with James Stewart, a rising young presenter and broadcaster with a passion for music and fashion and a clear talent for broadcasting. James has made a big impact on his relatively short time in the industry, and he's a heterosexual man who owns his femininity. Um, is there because I mean we can talk about femininity in a way, yeah. uh, and and the positive elements of femininity mm. are kind of nurtured, aren't they? And, and, yeah. And so you know, let's say femininity to briefly summarise is is about. Uh, very be empathetic, I suppose. Yeah. Um, caring for others. Um, yes. Perhaps being slightly vulnerable, and I think yeah. I think this is this is another thing that being open. Yeah, exactly. Which I I think ties in really nicely to masculinity. It's this idea that blokes are scared to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. I think being vulnerable is being hot, like because it tells it shows that you're in touch with yourself and who you are. And I think that is a real like issue that men in general have it, being vulnerable, like because we all are. I mean, we all have insecurities. No, no one is sort of excluded from that, that sort of feminine element of vulnerabilities is for me really attractive. Mm-hmm. And like, I think, you know, we could sort of learn a lot from that as men and don't be afraid to be sort of scared or vulnerable and talk about emotions and feelings and stuff. We're getting way better at it, but there's a reason that, you know, men's suicide rates are way higher than women. And, and I think it's got a lot to do with just chatting. <laughs> Um, like we do, I do a lot with Movember, uh, who are a big mental health charity, and their big thing they always say is that the reason guys struggle to talk about their problems is because they're not sure their friends have the toolkits to deal with what they want them to hear. So I think there's a big education piece in that, which stems from, I think, just talking. It doesn't have to. Be, you don't have to go to see a psychiatrist. You, you know, if, if I said to you, I'm struggling with this, mate, just by saying that in itself would probably alleviate a lot of problem because mm. because you're showing vulnerability. Absolutely. And I think that's like you said, a, traditionally, a real feminine. Thing that we could as men really benefit from exactly and you know i spoke to psychologists who, who still say the old adage a problem shared is a problem mm. halved yeah my mum says like our mum say that it's yeah. true like it really is true and and but guys we don't really do that and that's what got me interested in this whole thing because i was really terrible with that like relationships like communication and stuff but i'm not claiming to be like a hero but I'm more aware of it, and I think therefore I try and act on it. Yeah, I think that's just that awareness is what I think is cool. Gender roles can play a huge part in relationships, and dating expert Joe Barnett stresses the importance of playing the part. Because you know, if if things aren't talked about, um, they build up and they fester. And that's sometimes what causes a break in a relationship mm-hmm. because they haven't discussed it. And then the guy or the girl will turn around and say, it's not working, mm-hmm. you know, and they, and they get dumped yeah. without having had the opportunity to work it through. Um, so yeah, there, there's nothing wrong with, with being vulnerable. Um, as long as for a man, it's important that they know they know themselves, they know what they want and they know their standards and then, you know, expressing what's important to them or how you've upset them is absolutely fine, you know, but it's not fine to, to go off and sulk. 
and you know behave like a child you know those are those are where the issues come in professor ridge also stresses the importance of opening up about your problems but he thinks that men should adopt more feminine qualities to better manage their mental health well i think there's a whole range of things going on um and one is this vulnerability thing uh, men can't show their vulnerability but actually being a psychotherapist as well, I know that in order for men to be strong and to be healthy, they need to get in touch with their vulnerability. So they need to, uh, at the very minimum, find someone to talk about. Because often, if you don't talk about your problems, then they get magnified in your head and they become really important um, and they become light and they can become uh, life and death. Um, the other thing is that men are not as uh, connected as women. Uh, they're not as emotionally connected as women. So, for example, if a man in a relationship um, breaks up with a, a woman, um, she'll often have all the support and he may find himself with no support. And in fact, as men get older, um, they start to shed friends as well because of they might move cities, they might change work. Um, you know, they, they're moving through life. Their career is often important. Men are still socialized to believe that the career is the key thing. Um, so they're shedding friends. Okay. Then, um, the other issue is that if career is really important, then finances are really important. And if men are in financial problem, problem, having financial problems, then that can be devastating for men. You know, they're supposed to be, um, independent, autonomous, the breadwinner, um, these messages are still out there. Uh, so it's finances, it's relationship breakups, and it's, and it's loss are the key, uh, the key uh, reasons why men in particular are vulnerable to thinking about suicide, but also uh, uh, commit suicide at uh, maybe three times the rate of women. A recent online survey of 15,000 men found that about 56% of men had suicidal thoughts, and 70% of men are not happy with their mental health. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really high. Is it, is it right to say that the, the, the average age is in, in the 50s? Well, yeah, it's uh, men under 50, so they're the key uh, men. Uh, so, so, yeah, so the idea being that um, the biggest threat to the health of men are men themselves, um, which is quite shocking when you think about it. Uh, and we're only beginning to wake up to this and, and the enormity of that statement that... Um, that men are a risk to themselves and we need to begin to do something about it. Uh, we need to do a lot better than we have been. Suicide rates are the lowest in the UK since 1981, at 15.5 per 100,000 deaths. In fact, most countries are seeing a similar decline with a dramatic exception to this modern phenomenon being America, where male suicide rates have risen by 18%. Experts can never identify a single cause for the decline or increase of suicide rates, but it could be that in the UK, men are becoming happier to talk when they're suffering. So this is the big question. I mean, how, how do we do that? I mean, obviously we're, we're creating a dialogue now, um, but how do we encourage, do we encourage men to have more friends, uh, to, to talk more, to, to focus on different aspects? Do we focus on uh, creating equality? So are we going to um, undo the, the gender norms that society have created over the uh, last hundreds of years? Yeah. Um, what area would you say we should, we should focus on all those things? I think all those things. I think 
definitely the, the message that we're putting out at the moment is that uh, men should talk to somebody if they are um, having problems. So the key thing is, is, is being able to find someone to talk to. And there is, it can be difficult because, um, you know, there's not, well, it's the quality of the conversation, which is important too, because often like, um, you know, men will talk about how, um, you know, they have banter with their mates, but it's not serious and it, and it's difficult to be serious and to open up. But for example, you can go to your GP and talk to your GP. Um, so often men, before they commit suicide, they'll go to their GP kind of looking for help. Um, there are telephone help lines. So for example, the Calm Charity has a telephone helpline, particularly for men. Um, the other thing is that um, say if you're worried about your mate, um, the key bit of advice I can give is talk about it. Ask about, are you, are you thinking about taking your life? Um, because having that conversation will not cause men to commit suicide. Just the opposite. It may be a huge relief um, that men have been holding this stuff in for so long um, and they've been given an opportunity um, to talk about it. Often men think that people don't care. They don't care about them. So, you know, being able to, to sort of like show that you do care is a, is a key thing that you can do. Um, so I think having those conversations, and when you do uh, have a conversation, maybe the advice I would give is not to try and um, find solutions because the man who is in strife really just wants to be heard. So you don't actually, it, it takes the pressure off. You don't need to find a solution. They just want to be heard and understood. It's vital that we talk about our mental health. And Joe Barnett advises that communication with your partner is essential. So isn't it important for men to talk about their emotions? I mean, there's obviously there's a lot of uh, buzz at the moment about mental health and, and men not yeah. opening up. And like we spoke about earlier, men not being able to communicate very well. Uh, so I suppose it's quite difficult for men to get that balance of not reacting with their emotions, but at the same yes. time opening up and being honest about how they feel. Yes, there, there is a balance. And that is one of the things that I teach, which is good communication. You know, both people in a relationship need to be able to express, this is how I feel. You know, when you say that, or when you do that, or when that happens, this is how it makes me feel. Mm -hmm. um, so to be able to communicate um, and not store it up because, you know, if they don't, that's that's how mental illness is, is um, created. You know, it comes out in depression. And I think it's very hard for men to talk about how they feel because, you know, they're brought up not to just like, you know, actions, you know, go and go and dig a hole or go and run around a field rather than cry or show your emotions. The archetypal traits of masculinity are sometimes seen as essential contributors to the success of men, without which the common roles that men are given or take on would be impossible for a man to perform. But is that really true? And if so, what are these essential masculine attributes? So, you know, masculinity for me is uh, being strong, being capable, having broad shoulders and I would say not reacting, you know, not 
not getting emotional and upset at something that has triggered you. So, you know, being quite composed, actually. I suppose, would the, would the word be rational, I suppose? Is, is that the best way to, to put it in approaching these? Yeah. I mean, when I think of the guys who I think are masculine, rational, but not boring. You know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't want guys to think they've got to be just straight and not react to anything because mm-hmm. you can be funny and you can be crazy, um, but to be secure enough in yourself that if you see your girl on the dance floor being tipped upside down or on a night out to know that um, you're still the best or that, you know, you get your buttons pushed at work and and you don't lose your cool or, mm. you know, you, you have methods of, of staying in control and being able to advise other people, like being a bit of a leader. Be a leader, be strong. Don't react to your emotions without rational thought. This is good advice for anyone, no matter your gender. And the sporting world is somewhere where this positive attitude allows athletes to truly thrive. Um, I've been a volleyball coach primarily for about six or seven years. Um, My journey started with a lot of cricket, ski teaching. Um, I just have a love of teaching really and coaching and trying to get the best out of the people that I'm working with. Volleyball coach and commentator Louis Lett shares his experience of toxic male egos. Yeah, you would see that people would only like the sport due to the fact that there were half-naked people on the TV, for sure. But that's not a perception that's seen within the sport. So it's actually not a perception that I hear a lot about, even yeah, and, and everybody that I spend my time with, we're talking more about how they're playing and what they're doing and how agile they are and how dynamic they are and yeah, how their arm swing's really strong. You're so, talking about their performance and their game, essentially, and their, yeah, their skills. Yeah, like, you'll never hear really any of anyone within our circle talk about anything that's not sport related. And that's just because I guess it's our bread and butter at the end of the day. So, it, <laughs> And you want to talk about it with respect because, yeah, it's, it's just your life. Yeah. Um, so would you say it's a particularly progressive culture? 100%. If, I, I would say if you compare it to like football, for example, um, there's obviously been quite a nostalgia about homosexual people coming out and, and being able to play because of how they would be perceived by the fans or by their teammates or, or, or whatever. But within our sport, it's, it's, it's really open. Um, I, I can name multiple people. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's easy. It's not seen, um, as any different. It's seen as very much one, one big family and nobody judges anybody based on, yeah, on, on any of that stuff. Which That's is, fantastic. It is good for, for that. It's a, it's a great sport. Yeah. It's really It's great to hear that for Louis, volleyball is a really progressive sport. But there are other sports that aren't quite as good at tackling the toxic problem. I did my master's degree at Stirling University and worked with Commonwealth Games athletes, primarily in hockey, swimming and badminton. Craig McGinley is an ex-rugby player and actor best known for his role in Guy Ritchie's King Arthur. I worked with the athletes in Glasgow um, before they progressed on to London 2012 for the Olympics and then Glasgow 2014 and then worked with professional football or soccer players, if you like, in, in Scotland. Um, when you were working in, in the sort of sports sphere with different teams, did you ever experience anything that you would say is kind of emblematic of, of toxic masculinity? The, 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 one, the one thing that really annoyed me was uh, some of the football clubs 
if guys wanted to go out after lunch when, say, training had finished, people could go home for the day, um, and you had one player going out, taking a bag of balls out onto the pitch to hit some free kicks or whatever, work on his weaker foot, you know, you would have a lot of the other guys walking past with their kit bags, jumping into their cars and saying, you know, things like, oh, you're being busy or, you know, joking. They're having banter with them. Oh, you know, come on, you're being a goody two shoes or, you know, things like that. And, um, and yeah, it's banter. It is banter, right? But I thought it was banter as well. Actually, I never thought too much of it until I remember having two young boys at 18 coming up to me in the gym and saying, can we have a chat? You know, I was like, yeah, of course. I had a lot of that. A lot of my job was sports psychology at times, although I wasn't a psychologist. A lot of these players are taking themselves through a journey of fitness and pain and sweat and that they had to get to that next level that they would, they would trust to speak to me, but maybe not the manager, you know, or other players. So a lot of that came into my job but the, these guys came and said you know like I want to go out and do extra sprints I want to go out and do extra gym after training but you know I just feel I need to fit in or I need to um, be one of the guys and go off to they're going to the cinema they're going off to bowling after they're going off to whatever to play Xbox in their flats after lunch I'm new I want to make it to the next level but I need to be one of the guys and I just told them you've got you, you're you're your own man actually you know at that level you are you know you're a team on the pitch but that was quite sad actually hearing that because their honest opinion and they were very strong I think coming to me and saying that and looking back they're the two out of four um, that made it to the first team level that year and it's because they just cha- they just blocked out. All the and a lot of the guys, it's not. It's for me, it was an element of bullying. Actually, a little bit, it was. You know, because um, yes, yeah, can be seen as banter. But I, I really do. After speaking to those boys, I think you know, yeah, the, you can shrug it off. But they found it difficult. Um, and you've got to stand up to that. The, the players are they've got to be stronger as well. The boys have got to say, you know, they've got to find a way of saying, you know, I want to be a professional footballer. That's it. I don't care what you're you're saying to me. And if you're not gonna. Um, let me into your clique because I'm doing extra free kicks after training or extra weights then whatever Volleyball coach Louis feels that in the past he's contributed to this toxic environment but he's since learned how to use his empathic skills to combat toxic masculinity Yes, within like a, a, a coach-athlete environment yeah, or, or players and Players against players. I probably also growing up playing was not the um, easiest person to to play against either. Like I'm, I'm, I was quite um, outspoken to say the least, and probably still have my moment where I am. But I wouldn't say it goes into too much of a cruel. Um, so outspoken capacity. as in perhaps judging someone. Yeah, and opinionated as opinionated. yeah for sure. And I, I was that that kid for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I've come a long way on my journey since exploring coaching and. Yeah, in the past, I've I've probably not 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 covered myself in glory as well. So you've developed some more empathy since since you've studied yeah. coaching and, and you've taken a look at how relationships between coaches and, and athletes should work. Um, is that the core of of now your your coaching philosophy? Be empathetic. Our empathy is massive. Okay? Like it's something that not only do we promote through coaches, but we like promote our athletes to be empathetic. Mm. I mean, hopefully, gone are the days where. Beach volleyball is a strange sport. Um, somebody will get served every ball. So they'll have, not maybe not every ball, but most of the balls for, for an hour. And it's their job to, to side out, which is put the ball on the floor in the other team's half of the court. The other one is 
has to just set and basically do a lot of other things, but the lion's share of the pressure is on, on one person. So if they don't perform, then it lets the team down, but it doesn't really because it depends how you perceive it and how you look at it. So yeah, empathy is huge because not only do, does the coach have to be empathetic for the person feeling the pressure or more of the pressure, but the partner has to be empathetic for the person who's going through that too. And that's something that doesn't always happen because expectancies or egos get in the way and egos are something that are absolutely massive within all sorts of sport. But it's something that I experience all the time is, is, is egotistical people. Um, how, how does that look? Um, you know, when you see someone who you're thinking, you know, their ego is perhaps out of control, what kind of, what kind of things are they doing and saying? Um, it's all about themselves and how they're perceived. Um, and something that we say, it's a, a good friend of mine called Aidan Tutton, who I coach with, who he played libero at the Olympics for Australia. He, he brought into our system that your ego is not your amigo. Um, and that means that every time that you start to talk in, in your, as yourself, um, first, then we're probably going, going wrong. It's about a group collective and what can we do as, as a group to get better. And it's not putting the lion's share of pressure on just on, on one person as such. Cause that is a, it's a, a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy when your ego is that big, you put all that pressure on yourself. Uh, it might feel good uh, when that ego is, is massaged. Mm -hmm. Um, but then when you fail, you fail alone, don't you? And, and, it must be a lonely place, but as you, as you maintain the camaraderie and, and everyone is, is out for yeah. the team, so always a better feeling. But e egotistical people genuinely in times of high pressure fail, fail more um, because they think about themselves and how they're, and how they're perceived at that time. And, and for egotistical people, the outcome is everything and, and it's not everything. Like you can lose, but you can perform great. But to, to a more egotistical person, they're out to just, just win. So it sounds like we should develop cognitive empathy rather than fuel our own egos. But are there really benefits to staying humble? Um, you know, a, another example was a player, Darren McGregor. Um, he, he basically, his story is good as well, actually. He, he was 22 playing amateur football. You never, ever get a professional Footballer really, you know, moving moving from amateur to professional at that age. Jamie Vardy, I suppose, was maybe an example of that. Um, but Darren was 22, um, got signed to a third-tier team in Scotland, Cowdenbeath, they were called. Um, and then he got, from the third tier, he moved straight up to the Premier League, played with a team called St Mirren. And because he, he didn't come from that background, that cliquey background, he was super focused, you know, he was massively focused and... I remember this image of him in the squat rack, you know, and ask, he would always ask me, what can I do more? What can I do more sprint? Can I do it? And I would always give him more and more and more because he wanted it. He came to me and he wanted it. And I remember these two young players, 16, 17, looking out the gym window at this player who will remain nameless. But he it, he was he was at Tottenham in Newcastle, I think, maybe, I'm not sure. Um, and he moved uh, clubs, coming towards the end of his career. And, um, you know, he's leaving the, leaving the club jumping into his, his nice fancy car with his toilet bag under his arm, you know, all that. And um, He used to have a cigarette after training sometimes as well. You know, sneaky, I wouldn't know about it. Sometimes he would have it around the corner. And um, so, and, and the boys were actually looking at that guy. These young guys at 16, 17 were looking at him out the window and saying, you know, like, look at his car and, you know, look at that. And, oh, he's leaving early, you know, he's not doing extra. He's just look at, you know. And Darren, no one's looking at Darren. Darren's in the squat rack, he's music, headphones in, focused. That was in maybe October of the season. Comes round to April, May, 
And who's standing up on the platform get, being awarded Player of the Year? Darren McGregor. And, it, you know, that's just... Who, who then, the following season, gets the move to the Glasgow club? He moves to Rangers. Moves to Rangers. And uh, there's a guy that was told he would never be good enough. Who then at Rangers gets Player of the Year? Same season, Darren McGregor. Um, and actually, I should have said, if we go back, he actually damaged his knee quite badly and he was told he'd be out for six months. He was out for four months in the end because his rehab, he was so focused on his rehab. And that's the thing as well. When guys get injuries, they don't do their homework at home a lot, I think. And they need to be kind of taken by the hand into the gym, do it. Darren was super focused. You know, he's a good friend of mine still now and really positive guy. Um, and... I guess he moved into it a little bit late. He could have been great. You know, if he'd moved into football a little bit earlier, he could have been even better. But what a story for a guy that, you know, really was told he was down and out, told by some big managers, um, actually, you'll never be good enough. You know, at 22, 23, 24, moves into it. And that, for me, that that picture, that image I have in my head of those young boys, unfortunately, looking at the nice car and the guy that's leaving early with a bit of a swagger, you know, he, He's going out to his car, he's leaving. They're looking at that guy instead of the guy that's working hard and doesn't care about being told, look at this, this guy doing extra. He's, you know, he's, he's being the teacher's pet, you know, they're all thinking that. But he's the one that's going to go and make it. And any of these guys, that's the culture in Scott. A lot of these guys need to start thinking, how are the guys at Barcelona training? How are the guys at Man United training? Instead of just staying in the bubble, I think anyone at any level can do anything. You're capable of doing anything. Playing for any football club, you know, I think this mentality of saying, oh, I'll never make it to that level. Um, you've got to look outside the box, see what the top guys, how are they training? You know, Cristiano Ronaldo, if you watch videos of him on YouTube and in pre-season and he's doing push-ups and then he's got to sprint 20 yards, do more push-ups. He's obviously been told to sprint, then do push-ups, sprint, do push-ups, but he's the only one doing clap push-ups. Because he's saying in my head, I've not been told to do it, but everyone, I don't want to be the same as everyone else. I want to get an edge on everyone and do something different. Getting the edge, being your most independent and authentic self is a surefire way of avoiding toxic masculine traits that encourage bullying and isolation. But are these positive traits part of being a man or just a good, well-rounded human? Comedian Jordan Gray is a leader, independent and authentic and uses gender identity to thrive better as her most authentic self. If we could just get a little bit of your background for people that don't know you. Um, you're most famous at the moment for your experience on The Voice. Yeah, 2016. Did okay, made it to the semi-finals with uh, Paloma Faith. Best experience, I've got no bad stories about The Voice, really, really awesome. And then um, I, I was a pop singer for 10 years before that whole thing. Um, and then since The Voice, I've moved full-time into stand-up comedy. And in that time, at some point, I transitioned from male to female. I'm a transgender person. So that's that's sort of me in a nutshell. You can pack, unpack any of that, obviously. <laughs> but the, yeah, my basic thing is that I used to be a male uh, pop singer and now I'm a female comedian. Wow. So there's a lot of a lot of changes there, career changes, uh, identity change, or at least not yourself, but the way other people see you is, is yeah, really I'd changed say, quite a lot. I like that expectation. Of, a lot of people think that you're going to change along the way. And I don't know. It's hard to be objective, isn't it? I think I've changed a lot. I'm a lot happier now than I used yeah. to be. That's pretty normal, I think. I think the main thing is that for, for me, and it's the language based around the subject of transgenderism as we use the word male and female for uh, the way a doctor would use it to describe sex. Sex mm -hmm. uh, is male or female. 
but then the word sex and sexuality, they're different things and yet we confuse those. We've not got enough words to describe it. I think of male and females being uh, spheres like uh, of influence and, and the way you act in society. So I've only moved from male to female sphere because I work better as a female. I'm more productive, healthier, happier, and I can do more for other people. But I haven't changed my sex. You can't change your sex. Mm. I wasn't bitten by a radioactive woman. Like your genes <laughs> just stay the same. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Spheres is quite a... It's quite a visual idea of, of describing a gender yeah. as it was. Because is that sort of a sphere that's that's made up by, by yeah, your, your actions and, and your perceptions? And I mean, if you had a, a female lorry driver, you know, this is so baseline, um, like really, really stereotypical, but it, it serves the purpose. A female lorry driver in a group of exclusively male lorry drivers, they might once in a while sort of use that kind of language of, you know, she's one of the boys and she's one of the boys for that period of time and mm-hmm. she maybe is happy with that maybe she's not and then that is a discussion to have at that time but she's moved from one sphere to another around those people mm-hmm. and in in my life I work better as female I, I don't know like the ideas I attach to masculinity or maybe probably and in all likelihood should be very different from yours because we're different people uh-huh. and that's all right you you're I, I assume you identify as masculine man you're a man you're a man. I identify as a man most yeah. of the time. <laughs> Just but when you feel like it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a conversation that's all right to have. Mm. I do think the other side of it though is that like you don't is when I do a lot of LGBT stuff, so people ask each other, what's your pronoun? Mm. What's the pronoun you use? That's a safe bet to do that. I don't think we need to ask it every single time we meet another person in reality. You're allowed mm-hmm. to make some assumptions and be wrong. I don't think that's a crime. Yeah, the the pronoun debate was quite a contentious thing for a lot of a lot of people. People getting quite upset about. I think a lot of men felt like they were being coerced into changing their whole entire structure of their language. Obviously, that wasn't the case, um, but I think it was kind of speculating on what this world could be if people who didn't want to use traditional pronouns sort of took over. I think that was what the fear was. Yeah. In the reality, obviously, that's not the slippery not the slope case. argument that falls into place. It's that's like. The one, yeah. For for all of history, it's always right. This could sound weird, but it always comes back to like dogs or horses. They'll go with transgender people. If you can identify as a woman, what stops you from identifying as a horse? Rewind twenty five years. What men can marry men? What now can men marry horses? <laughs> no, nobody wants to marry a horse. Oh, what women can have a vote? What next? Dogs and horses? No. What's this weird little slippery slope that you keep? It's not going to happen. Yeah, but you're you're happy now, aren't you? You're yeah, you've. Yeah can be more honest with people now. Yeah. And you said you can, you feel like you can help other people more now that you've. Yeah. Cause I'm not grappling with any internal struggle. It's like, um, I'm a cleaned out coffee filter. Like mm. I've got higher fidelity communication between like me and you now. I've mm. not got a, well, hopefully I don't feel like I've got any pretense or barrier. I don't have to worry about what you think. And, mm. um, and you know, I, I don't project anything onto you. It's just, I think it's just a conversation now as yeah. before I might've, I don't know, tried to, I don't know what even the word would be. So you're it's so performing to, more back yeah, like then, I Yeah, and that's the irony. Now I'm a performer. I think I'm a better performer because I can be more honest now, yeah. I think. Yeah, so it's knowing yourself more, you can then perform in different other roles in, in, in a better way, I yeah. suppose. I think, I, I'm also, I like to think, um, and well, I don't know, maybe, I think, imagine this is something we agree on. I'm a bit of a evolutionary biologist. I kind of like, I like to think the roles that 
the female sex had, they still, of course, we've still, we still got those genes in our brain. Like men, they go out and hunt and provide. That That's not to say now that the definition of a man has changed from then to mm-hmm. now. But like, I like to think I'm better at keeping the social group together. That was our, that's been our job for hundreds of thousands of years. I don't, it doesn't matter what my physiology is. That's what my brain's better at doing. Mm. So that's when I talk about the spheres. I'm, I'm better at doing those jobs and I can't, you know, I don't think I'd be a lone, I'm not a lone wolf type of person, you know, mm. it doesn't, doesn't work for me. In the modern world, not only is the conversation about gender identity becoming louder, but traditional gender roles are being challenged, traded, and reinvented for a more dynamic society. David Freed is author of Dads Don't Babysit, a book about equal parenting. There is a lot of um, research into the parents and parental roles. And what we found um, is that a lot of that research focuses on mums and saying that mums are especially designed for being parents and, mm. and they, they have evolved into being excellent parents and they've got all these chemical processes going on in their brains when they see their kids and hold mm. their kids and lots of hormones. Whenever we talk about hormones, it's always when we talk about baby bonding hormones, especially we talk about all these hormones that mums get when they interact and care for their kids. When we talk about men and hormones, what do we think of? Testosterone. Absolutely, yeah. That's the only hormone we we, we sort of talk mm. about in popular um, biology and about... But we have a spectrum of, of hormones just like... Well, women and men, they share Huge estrogen, rate. they share testosterone, yeah, and many other yeah. different hormones that make up our Oxytocin, emotional yeah. spectrum. Exactly. Um, and, and we find that actually when, when a dad holds his baby, he has the same chemical processes going on in his brain mm-hmm. that that actually help him to bond. It makes him happier. It makes him more relaxed. It has positive effects on his mental health. Mm-hmm. And although certainly new parents will will raise a few eyebrows there because actually looking after a newborn baby and even kids is a, it's a stressful experience. Yeah. But actually on the whole, when you, you do that and you get those chemical changes in your brain and your body, it's, it's good. It's good for, for your health uh, as, as, as a man to be able to get those opportunities, to be able to get that, that happiness and satisfaction that you get back from looking after your child. And you're getting those same chemical processes, those same hormones in many instances, but those, the same outcomes that, that, that women get. So mothers and fathers are basically getting these same things, but we never hear about the dad's side of the story, about dads getting those special bond, baby bonding hormones mm-hmm. and that special, the way that they change when they begin to look after their child. We don't hear so much about that. And I think... If we can start talking about parental hormones, or even if we want to, just dad hormones, just more dad hormones, mm. actually, and and those changes that dads can experience, I think it might sort of play up and, and break down some of those old old cultural myths. David believes that men who take more share of the parenting are not only contributing to a better society, but will also experience an improvement of their own mental health. It's often because of the stereotypes, it's often an option that parents are discouraged from really thinking about and giving a fair hearing. But actually the benefits, if parents can, if a couple can share that that parental opportunity by sharing parental leave equally and even sharing responsibility equally after after the first year, then actually the benefits for the whole family and even even wider society are, are, are really, the evidence is really 
really compelling to yeah. show that. And dads especially, I mean, you, you see dads who are more actively involved in raising their offspring and being responsible, fully involved parents. You see them being uh, reporting being much happier. Um, they have even a, a UN-backed study showed that they actually have longer life expectancy the more that they are involved with, with their kids. Wow. They have better mental health, just more satisfied with life. And also they get a bigger sense of purpose uh, in their life that really comes into being from saying, I'm not helping my wife out. I'm looking after my kid and this is my thing mm -hmm. and get real ownership over being able to do that. It's, it's a really exciting and great thing that if, if dads really get, give this a fair hearing and, and want to, uh, and want to try this out, then, then it's something they should definitely, definitely do. One idea about toxic masculinity is the anti-feminine. The attitude that feminine traits should be ridiculed or that they take away from a man's masculine qualities. This fallacy might be dying out as more men are taking paternity leave. Although we have really low uptake in the UK and Scandinavia, they've got a really high uptake of parental leave. And the way dads are seen and men are seen involved and responsible for, for, for their kids. Mm -hmm. When that really started off and you saw those cultural changes, you see this great advert in Sweden where it really kicked off where they had um, plastered on the sides of buses and billboards and TV. It was this really big, muscular, very heavily bearded, like Viking bloke. Uh, very, very manly. There's no, no doubt to it. You couldn't be more manly. And he had a baby strapped to him. And you could see him looking at the baby smiling. And you saw that relationship and that bonding going on and that, you know, how comfortable he was with it. And I think that sort of image, that sort of, um, and, and the front, front cover of, um, of, of the, the Does Don't Babysit book as well is showing that image that you can be masculine and manly if, if, if that's very important to you. I mean, you don't have to, like, it, it's fine. But if, if, if you want, you can own that, own it and be a really great, active, responsible dad who's making decisions about saying like, oh, like, I'm going to make sure that his food is ready on time and he's got a good nutritional balance and that sort of stuff. Is actually taking ownership of that and saying, this is, this is my thing. And it's, it's just as manly to do that as anything else. I'm not challenging my manliness by doing it. Jordan Gray has experienced two sides of the gender spectrum. We asked Jordan to reflect on her past life as a man and ask herself, did she ever contribute to toxic behaviour? Um, were, you, were, you, were you describe yourself always having been a transgender? Oh, right. That's a really, that's a really good question. Really quick answer is like, um, yeah, I was a boy. I was just a boy mm. and I'm a woman now and somewhere along the line, like that changed, lots of complicated thoughts, but I don't think it's a good idea to completely disregard the past. And a lot of, that's another thing, the militant transgender groups, they say, no, I was always a woman. Like, well, you enjoyed, I certainly enjoyed male privilege for at least 15 years before I realized something was not working. <laughs> I was a boy. I got to, you know, sit up front in the car, I don't know, <laughs> like whatever the equivalent is as a child. I never felt fear walking around at night, you know, mm. as a, you know, it's, it's a whole different, I've got all those, so there's all things now. So yeah, I was a boy and transitioned about at 18, 19, I started thinking about it. 22, 23, I, uh, started estrogen full time. Now you can mm. start a testosterone blocker and estrogen. I just started the estrogen because the blocker, my energy level dropped to zero, no drive to do anything. Couldn't even pick up a weight if I wanted to like really lift, yeah, zero. Cause, cause it's, it's all been, 
I don't know what exactly happens to it. Oh, no, yeah, it stops you producing the testosterone, which means obviously no get up and go, no activation mm. energy, no twitch in the muscle, nothing. It's yeah. really weird. So women generally have a bit of testosterone, sure. don't they? Yeah. Um, so that completely knocks it out. Yeah. So you would have to, if you started, for, for example, if I was to have the uh, surgery, the gender reassignment surgery, it changes every day. So literally making a penis into a vagina, you remove the testicles. So there's no testosterone, which means ironically, I'd have to start taking testosterone a small bit to be evened out. It just seems like a lot of, lot of trauma. I don't know if that's necessary yeah. to me. Yeah. It does seem like a lot of trauma. Yeah. Anyway, you're a performer. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, in, yeah. In, 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 in it is. A, it is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but you're presenting yourself. Yes. You're performing your, your own personality. Yeah. Um, that is, is traditionally the sort of thespian side of it. Uh, also, you're very articulate. Oh, thank you. And I literally have to be for a job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't get paid if I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> but the way you hold yourself, you know, you're a stylistic person as well. So I think thank all you. these things are quite... Yeah, I already feel like it today. I feel like I've been run over, but kinda, <laughs> I'll talk about that other time. <laughs> <laughs> They're quite positive, quite positive gay stereotypes, yes. I suppose. Oh, so. I'm ticking all the boxes, mate. Ticking all the boxes. Yeah, yeah. Completely, yeah. It's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I just find it bizarre. And I, I was talking to like my, so I'm working on like this TV idea about this development idea. My development producer um, has the same issue where a lot of people think he's gay. And he was sort of saying that it, we, it's sort of the opposite where you almost feel alienated by the sort of lad culture. And I think there's, I mean, it's sorry to put a slight down on this. It's not meant to, but I was reading this article about um, stag dudes and the, the death rates associated with stag dudes and the sort of negative implications. Of that. I'm not suggesting that they're terrible ideas, but the point being is that this article, and I can only speak for the article, it's not my opinion, was that um, it sort of meant that they're, they're worse because it's like pack mentality. You don't want to be that guy that stops someone jump climbing a bridge or whatever. And it's, it's that sort of, masculine tone that I think people are scared to sort of challenge. You don't want to be the guy that says, oh, don't do that. Or like, you know, and it, and I think that stag do element is no better example of that than I, I think can think of. I think you're right. That's a fantastic um, uh, kind of example of to toxic masculinity. Right. I suppose that you've got the pack mentality. Exactly. Everyone's like, yeah, let's get really, like, yeah. Exactly. You go there specifically to get a certain way and mm -hmm. you're all in it for the same reasons, which isn't a bad thing at all, but it's just interesting to yeah. think of it like that. And your fears, are, your fears in that moment of confronting that situation morally are probably right. You know, in that, yeah. oh, are these guys going to judge me? For, yeah, they probably exactly. are. Exactly, they probably are. For... You're probably going to be slated for days and mm. people are going to come home a week later and people are going to go, oh, do you remember that time James stopped us, like, I don't know, eating someone else's sick or like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> which actually in real life, you did that now. <laughs> what are you doing? Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> like, we're in this office and someone did mm. that. Um, so I think that's a really good example of toxic masculinity. And doesn't have to be toxic. And I think that's the point that I really want to bring out. It's just, for me, it's just about if that's who you are, you shouldn't be anything, it's just you. Mm -hmm. And that's the sort of take home point. But I still don't feel like it's talked about enough. When you were a boy, yeah. Um, do you ever remember a time when you felt like you were being toxically masculine? Like, I've only really come to terms with all, all that stuff means in the last few years because of all the conversations that everybody's having. I don't know. Maybe 
I've got very, I was very, very lucky. Like my dad's an old school kind of guy, but he'd never had like any sort of raw aggression. He wasn't inherently sexist or anything. Mm. Um, my mum's a lesbian, which is, which means you get to have those conversations about sexuality and then by proxy gender and all that stuff mm. really early on. So no, what, what, as it, what's an example, would you say of like the most baseline toxic masculinity? You find yourself in a group of lads sure, and you're being propelled into some kind of uh, action that you'd be perhaps ashamed of. It's difficult because toxicity mm. um, can work on many different levels and people have different uh, perceptions of it and, and different ideas of what it, what it is. Um, but I think generally it is, it's living up to the male expectations of there's probably a really good chance that I was guilty of a lot of that kind of behavior when I was trying to fit in for those last couple of years before I decided to proactively change. Mm. I was probably like, oh yeah, lads, 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 I'll be a lad now because that's safe. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Uh, I was a heavy, heavy drinker. I quit alcohol seven years ago, which also is good for the estrogen because you uptake it better. Obviously alcohol in the system means the hormones are all over the shop. So see, it'd be a waste of money if I still drink. Mm -hmm. So that, did change a lot because if your inhibitions are lowered, I guess you're more susceptible to pack mentality, aren't you? So do you think there's probably a, something to be said for that? Yeah, or, or is that a lot of that inherent masculine toxicity? Is that just, well, is that just in, 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 in you? Is that just in your brain? I think, I think toxicity and, and masculinity, what people, the ideas of it is, is about pack mentality mm. really. I think, you know, we spoke to uh, James Stewart, who's a heart radio presenter. And he, he mentioned stag do's as right. one good idea. You have yeah. these expectations of how you're supposed to act as a man on a stag do. And yeah, so that bringing out that kind of unempathetic and sort of un- disnurturing element of, of men's personalities um, through others, I think. But just on the, in that vein, as a comic before, and uh, well, I was never a male comic, but I was always a fan of uh, Russell Brand and I continue to be a fan. And I think what rubs people... Well, it rubbed a lot of men up the wrong way with Russell is that he he didn't have that toxic masculinity mm. about him he and yet he retained so much sexual magnetism and dynamism with women because he's he's empathetic he's willing to share mm. and open up these things but he had but he he's aesthetic he had, you know had the goatee and the beard and the thing and you know he's um he's a very tall guy and he's a very charismatic figure but without that without having to push the typically masculine bravado. And I'm still compared a lot to Russell on stage now, the way I jump around and we've got the same accent and mm-hmm. the same haircut when it goes up at the back. I know this is an audio medium, but I've got quite a barnet listeners. <laughs> My po- point is that, uh, yeah, that, so maybe I dodged it because that time he was, he was a rock star mm. and I, was, I really emulated him during those last few years of, you know, before transitioning. Whether you're a comedian, a sports coach, or just a dad who wants to raise his kids in a kinder and more progressive world, we need to talk about gender issues openly and honestly. Because if we don't, behaviour that we consider toxic is likely to get even worse. There's nothing unmasculine about nurturing traditionally feminine traits, and there's nothing masculine about neglecting empathy for others and neglecting your own mental health. I've been Tom Rowley, and the podcast is produced and edited by Andy Greening. 
Don't forget to pick up your copy of Healthy For Men magazine in any Holland & Barrett store across the UK today or visit healthyformen.com for more information.